0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado, www.cbcaurora.com. So what we're going to do for the next two weeks uh, to get me uh, uh, back on track here is we're going to continue in our church series, uh, the series on uh, the church. And so uh, today, if you would, turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. And what we're talking about here today uh, when it comes to the church series is talking about uh, what we do and why we do it. I think a lot of times we come to church, there's just certain things that happen, certain things that's already done. And I think for a lot of us, we see this happening at church and we just make the assumption, well, this is just what we do. And then people ask, well, why do you guys do that? I don't know. It's just what we do. And the thing is, and what's really important for us to get, is the scriptures are very, very clear as to what it is that we're supposed to do when we gather together. And so there are reasons why. So one of the questions that was asked of me is, Shane, why do you preach the gospel every single week? Isn't there other things that we need to hear, that we need to grow in Christ? This is actually a great question. As we continue with our church series, just for a couple more weeks, what we do and why we do it. Uh, For those of you that, uh, you will know the name John Bunyan. If you don't know John Bunyan, John Bunyan was the guy who wrote the famous Pilgrim's Progress, Uh, John Bunyan was in prison a lot, (laughs) prison because he was preaching the gospel when he wasn't supposed to. And so John the Baptist, John the Baptist, Uh, John Bunyan is in prison and he is approached by what was known back then as Anabaptists. All right. Now let's get our history clear. Southern Baptists, we are not Anabaptists. People will go back to the Reformation and be like, you know, the Anabaptists, yeah, the Baptists today. No, we were not Anabaptists. I know some of you might be going, oh, I thought we were. We're not Anabaptists. The Anabaptists actually today, uh, the descendants of the Anabaptists are what we know today as like the Quakers, uh, the, you know, the Amish. You know, that, that, that's where the, 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 the descendants of the Anabaptists went. Then people will say, well, shame? Well, where did we come from? We're actually Puritans. We came from the Church of England. That's where the Southern Baptist Convention came from. There's going to be people that are going to disagree with this, okay? But if you just look at uh, reputable church history books, you'll see that this is the case. So again, we're not Anabaptists. So John, the, John Bunyan was a Baptist, <laughs> okay, who was approached by Anabaptists. And the Anabaptists came to John Bunyan, and they said, dude, You cannot preach the gospel like you do. You preach the gospel all the time. You cannot preach the gospel every single week. Why? Because if you tell them the gospel and you teach the gospel the way they do, the way you do, then everybody is going to believe they can do and live any way they want to live. If you preach the gospel every week, people are going to walk out here believing that they can do whatever it is that they want to do. John Bunyan looked at him and said, no, if I preach the gospel the way I do, then God's people are going to want to do what God wants them to do. This is huge, family. This is big. This is huge. It's very, very important that we get this. If you hear the gospel, then God's people are going to want to do what God wants them to do. So if you hear the gospel and you decide you're going to live life and do whatever it is that you want to do, something might be wrong. The gospel is the good news. It's the best news. It's the greatest news ever told. But Shane, every single week you know i, I got to admit as a young pastor i struggled with this a lot okay? i struggled with this idea it was in, it was important to me to make sure i was preaching the word and strictly preaching the word but I was also in a situation where I was frustrated because the members of the church were just not doing what it is that they were supposed to do. Now, I don't think that this is a Hawaii thing, but this is one of the difficult things when you pastor a church in Hawaii. It is really hard when it comes to compromise and distractions. Church on Sundays, man, on Sundays in Hawaii, there is stuff happening all over the place. And just uh, it's like in Hawaii, they just decided, hey, all the fun stuff, all the sports, all the events, everything that you're going to want to do in Hawaii, it's all going to be on Sunday during church. It's like they purposely did that. So it was frustrating because I'm always feeling like I'm having to fight with the distractions, fight with the compromise and just how people lived and what people did. And we had, you know, people in church that are church members that are outside of the church smoking marijuana and doing all these kinds of things. And, you know, they, they weren't really doing that, but I thought they were. Just doing all kinds of stuff, living life how they want to live, doing what they're doing. And it was was hard. I'm young, and I'm like, I just want our church to just be people with a passion for God. And they're going to care about God. What do I need to do? So I struggled with this. I struggle with this very idea, man, I can't preach the gospel all the time, because if I do, then I'm not encouraging people to do stuff. I'm not encouraging people to, to evangelize. And you know what? On top of it all, I just need to make sure that I'm letting everybody know that if they don't evangelize, if you don't pray, if you don't give money, if you don't do all of these things, then you're going to go to hell. That's what I want to say. Maybe that'll motivate some people. I need them to get serious. I need to preach hard on the law so that they'll be more obedient and serious about God. I need to emphasize sermons on praying more, reading their Bible more, evangelizing more, that they don't get lazy, that they stop sinning so much. You know, they're just so flippant about sin and that they give money to missions and they do this or they do that or else because this, this, this is something that we've got to do. i got to do something to get people to be serious about God. Now, I don't think, actually, that preaching the law super hard is actually going to accomplish that. I think in reality, when you preach the laws, the do's and don'ts, you're going to go to hell if you don't do it. I think it just breeds more rebellion, actually. And if the individual is believing that, sitting in the pews coming to church, they're just, I mean, what good is it if they're obeying God, but they're sitting in the pew with their heart's hard against God who believe that God's this demanding slave driver, and I hate him. I mean, what good is that? But see, what I found out, to preach the word is to preach the gospel. Seriously, if you haven't heard the gospel, then you haven't heard the word. And here's the thing, because all of the word, everything is about Christ, This is the good news that we need to hear. People, I don't know, man, Shane, the the Bible, you're saying that the Bible, the whole Bible is all about Christ. I don't think so. Uh, Christ said, yeah, you search the scriptures because in them you think you'll find eternal life. But it's they that bear witness to me. Jesus told us what the Bible is about. People are like, what's, what's the big theme? What's the big subject of the Bible? Jesus told us. Me. He said him. He is the subject of scripture. So again, to preach the word then is to preach the, 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 the gospel. And the thing is, is to motivate people to do good works is to preach the gospel because good works without the gospel-centered motivation is not good works and obedience. Did you know that? I don't care what you do. If, you're, if the things that you're out there doing, if it is not motivated by the gospel, it is not good works. It is not obedience. There is no way we can have true sanctification. There's no way we can have true maturity and true obedience to God without the renewed foundations that come from the preaching of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Period. All right? All right? So let's take a look. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. He's talking about the gospel here. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that your word will continue to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So just two things. So if you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to look at today is the continuing nature of the gospel. It is not a simple moment when we first believe that it is the thing that actually sustains us and causes us to grow. So the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. The second thing we're going to look at is this ever important the so that because of dynamic. Okay? So that and because of dynamic. When we approach our obedience to the Lord, showing that the gospel is. Needs to be our motive. This is vital to our true obedience as we look at the essence of the good news. So our thesis statement today is this. Again, the thesis statement is me trying to wrap up and summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world and our current culture of confusion causes us to lose sight of the importance of the truth of the gospel, it is the power of the Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will cause us to see the foundational nature of the gospel in the world In the word and the work of our Lord Jesus. So point number one, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z of Christianity. Okay, it's important that we get this. It's not the ABCs, it's the A to Z. It's common for many of us to hear the gospel being talked about as simply the beginning of Christianity. That's what you need to hear as an unbeliever. And this is the first thing that you need to hear, the first thing that you need to believe and have joy, take joy of. It's the start of Christianity. One pastor actually told me that the gospel is what you hear when you first become a Christian. And then after that, you've got to learn the deep things of the Bible. Then you've got to go and evangelize. And then you've got to do hard work. Shane, the, the, once they do this, they're already in the club. Now, what they've got to do is they've got to work hard to make the club better. Shane, you do not need to preach the gospel to them anymore. They're already in. So now work harder on going to get more members. (laughs) See, that's, this is how he's saying. He's saying, that's the way it is. And my response to him is, no, it is not. The Bible makes it very, very clear. It's not the way it is. Many of us today might think that, yeah, Shane, I think it's, it's that way. No, it is not. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel must be pervasive and alive in the life of every single believer. And the scriptures makes this very clear. So let's look at Colossians again really quick. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6. We just, talk, we just read that. Which has come to you, talking about the gospel, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing As it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. So what he's talking about is he's talking about the gospel has gone out. And the gospel is increasing and the gospel is bearing fruit. Just as it does among you. So right there he's telling you. Just as it is is done as it's doing among you. So the gospel should be increasing and the gospel should be growing Since the day, and so that's the thing, since the day you heard it. So he's talking about that moment, that one moment where you actually heard the gospel and became a Christian. Since you heard it, now what's the gospel supposed to do? Just be in your back pocket so that you can bring it out when another unsaved person comes in your life? No, that gospel, that message that you heard needs to increase and grow and bear fruit in your life you see that? So the gospel doesn't end. Shane, why do you preach the gospel every single week? Because we're supposed to be growing, and the gospel is supposed to be increasing in our lives every single day. The gospel here is not pictured as a single moment in the life of the world or even in the lives of the church in Colossae. It is pictured here. Uh, it's important that we see this because the, 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 the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting here is the gospel is not a moment. The gospel is more like a seed. So you heard the gospel. The seed was planted Not a moment, a seed. The gospel is planted in us. And like a good seed that is planted, what does that seed do? It grows. And not only that, it grows. It matures. And it bears fruit. It grows. Bearing fruit and increasing. Just like it has been among you since the day you first heard it. The picture of growing and bearing fruit is not one to illustrate a moment in time. That picture is to show us a season. It's showing us a lifetime. So the gospel in our lives was not just a moment in the beginning of our walk with Christ, but it is the very thing that brings us growth and fruit. The gospel grows. The gospel increases in our lives. That is why I preach it every single week has to it has to grow and we as christians we need to continue to ponder these things when it comes to the gospel oh it's the gospel i heard this already i know this already do you a lot of times I get that. Dude, I've heard this already. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, great. Yay, yay. Let's move on to something else. How can I do this? How can I do that? What can I do? How do I do this? How does God make me rich? You know, all those You know, I just do that. You, gotta, you know, all these, what, this is what people are wanting. This is what they're asking. Why can't you teach us that? Because the thing in our lives that need to bear fruit, the things in our lives that need to increase is the gospel. We've got to see this. We have got to see this or it's going to be super frustrating for you here at Central because it's going to be every single week. (laughs) So what does this mean? It means that the gospel is living. It's power. It is the power of God for salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. It is the power of God for salvation. And salvation in our lives continues to work. It continues to grow. It continues to flourish. We don't advance past the gospel to something more advanced. I like the way one preacher said it. He said this, the gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it's more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. It's huge. It's not just how we get into the kingdom, it's how we progress it's not how we come to life in the kingdom. It's how we live in the kingdom. It's called the gospel. It's not just a message for unbelievers. It is a must for believers as well. We have got to get it out of our heads that there is more to be offered apart from the gospel. There's not. We are not justified by the gospel and then sanctified by hard work, restraint, self-affliction, or uncompromising obedience. As Christians, we are justified and sanctified by the power of the Spirit in light of union in Christ and the power of the gospel. So we don't just get saved, we're justified by the gospel, and now we're going to go get sanctified by a lot of hard work and good cooperation with each other. Mm -mm. We're also to be sanctified, sanctified, the power of the Spirit. We are saved by the powerful work of Christ. We will be purified and sanctified by the powerful work of Christ. The gospel grows. The gospel increases. That is why it should be preached every single week. Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. Oh foolish Galatians. If you have this idea that the gospel is how everything starts, And then everything else from here is good work, hard work, sanctified by good works, hard work, all of those types of things. If that's what you're thinking, Paul is talking to you, oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as it was seen in a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ, the gospel. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? The Bible is making it very clear. This is this idea that we have and just we got saved, so now it's just you gotta put your hand to the plow, we gotta work, gotta do all these things, we gotta do all this stuff in order for us to become perfect, perfect to, to mature all of these types of things. No, the same way we were saved is the same way we will be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel, family, it's the power of the gospel. We sometimes like to look at it this way. We sometimes like the gospel again, it's for unbelievers. You need the gospel to get saved. But now once we're saved, we're good. We don't need the elementary teachings of the gospel anymore. We need to dive into some advanced stuff. We need to dive into the mature stuff. Now on to working hard and being obedient to the Lord. It's understood that once we are saved, we grow through hard work and obedience. This is not the case. This is the dangers of, the kind of, of this kind of understanding about the gospel. Both our creed and our confession and hard work and even our, dis, or our obedience, if it is not founded upon coming from or being in line with the gospel, it will not sanctify you. It will strangle you one of my one of my friends uh uh uh, retired uh, pastor now uh, Kind of a mentor to me I guess in a lot of ways He goes man you know that's That's the one thing you know when Shane you're out there You're preaching the law you're preaching obedience you're doing all these Kinds of things and if people do not Understand the truth of the gospel They're sitting in your pews With a scowl on their face And they're just mad and angry At the world But then why are you coming to church Because this is what I got to do if I want to go to heaven Seriously Both our creed and our confession, our hard work, and even our obedience, if it is not founded upon the gospel, it will not sanctify you. It will strangle you. And you will go through life not in victory, but in misery. Oh, and I'm sure many people have been Christians for a long time. You've probably seen these people come and go in your life our creed and our confession and our hard work and our obedience needs to be founded upon the gospel. If it's not, it will not help you. It will hang you. You will not grow. You will grumble. It will not make you joyful. It will make you judgmental. It will not make you mature. It will just make you a mean person. I mean, this just, is just funny Sometimes. It's like I remember in my life growing up in some of the most, like, you know, perfect, righteous, you know, they don't do anything wrong. You know, uh, one individual was like, I don't even have a TV in my house. I will not allow that, you know, stuff. And then just everything in their life, they don't cuss, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't do all this stuff. It's just their lives are just so perfect. And a couple of these individuals I had in my life, and I got to tell you people, I got to tell you family. They, are, they were two of the meanest people I've ever met. Just mean. Just mean people. They say mean things about people. They say mean things about you. They just say mean things. They're even mean to each other. You know? Even the two of them at the church, the, both of them, came at me one day and was, like, threatening. Like, if that person doesn't leave, I'm leaving. And then the next day, if that person doesn't leave, I'm leaving. I was just like, what is wrong with you guys? It will not help you, it will hurt you. It will not make you better, it'll make you bitter. If we try to live our lives in accordance with the laws of God, apart from the gospel, it will harm us, it will hurt us, it will destroy us. The gospel has to be fundamental. It has to be foundational in your life. So we need to see what. Here it is. I got this in my notes. This is in bold print to make sure that I emphasize this. We have got to see that all the problems we have come from our failure to apply the gospel. Did you know that? I've taken the Pepsi challenge with church members all the time. Come to me. I'll, I'll do it with you. We'll, we'll, do the, we'll do the challenge here if you want. Come to me and tell me a problem that you have in life, and I will show you how you are not applying the gospel in your life. Serious. It, it's, it's so, it's so amazing. It's, it's, like, <laughs> it's like clockwork. I mean, it's just bang. It's just right there. Every time it comes, it's right there. You don't have to dig, you don't have to see, you just have to think of the gospel and you automatically fall into that. You you automatically see it, not fall into it, but you see it. It's right there. This is why Paul, when he left the Ephesian church in the book of Acts, he enlightens them to the word of his grace, which can build you up. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace, the gospel, that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. See, it's not just to let you into the kingdom. The gospel, the good news will also build you up. It's not just the initial laying of a foundation of a house. The gospel is not just the foundation of building the house. It is the actual building of the house. It's also the decorating of the house. It's the furnishing of the house. It's the living in the house. This is why I preach it every single Sunday. The gospel is the answer to every problem. And Like I've said, I've done this. I've done this, especially in Hawaii. There's a, I, in, in Hawaii, uh, we were really close to a university. With the University of Hawaii. We were really close, like ten minutes away from the University of Hawaii. So we had a ton of of college students come to our church. And and I, I don't know what, what the deal was with our church, That we got the, the, the guys getting their PhDs. All these graduate students, we got the graduate students, the master's degree students, those are the guys that came to our church. So man, I would, I would every, single, every single week, I'd take the young adults out, the, we'd all go out and we'd all have lunch. And they are giving me all kinds of things, all kinds of scenarios about, this is the problem. How do you apply, how am I failing to apply the gospel in it? I'll tell you what, I am still undefeated. gospel is there to build us up. The gospel increases, grows with us. In every moment of every day, that is the walk, the path, and direction. We need to be walking in line with the truth of the gospel. It is the essence of all Christianity. It is the directive. It is our hope. It is the power of God. We walk in line with the truth of the gospel. It is not just for unbelievers. It is for us as well. So when we hear the gospel declared on Sundays, we don't go looking around to see, well, the gospel is being preached right now. Pastor Shane's preaching the gospel right now. I hope there's some unbelievers in this church today so they can hear this. We allow the truth of the gospel to renew our hearts to bring us more grace because as Christians, man, do we not need grace. To motivate us to good works and to remind and encourage us of the many wonderful things that is to come. We got to see another thing too here. In the book of Galatians, do you know that Paul actually rebuked Peter to his face? Paul talked about that. I went to Peter and I rebuked him to his face. Paul had to rebuke Peter. Peter Uh, Would ordinarily, he would eat with the Gentiles. Anytime it was time to sit down and eat, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when some of the friends of James actually came around, he stopped eating with the Gentiles because he did not want to face the criticism that he would receive from the circumcision, from the people. As a result, other Christians and even Barnabas started to follow Peter's hypocrisy. That's the other thing, too. I look at this and I'm just like, yeah, look at that. The Apostle Peter, even the Apostle Peter sins. <laughs> if the Apostle Peter is still sitting, man, how can we ever, 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 ever think that we would ever be able to live life away from the gospel? Ever. <laughs> so they're following his hypocrisy, and Paul came to the conclusion. They were not walking in step with the truth of the gospel, and therefore he rebuked Peter. See, Paul wasn't sitting there looking at the situation going, you know what? You know what the problem is? These guys are being hypocrites, and that's not what should be done as Christians. He wasn't going, uh, they're being racist, and being racist is unbecoming of Christians. And so he was going to go over there, Oops, let's not be racists. He didn't think, oh my, that's so rude to do to people that were trying to help. They should never do that, even though it's true. He didn't think, oh, he's going to get it because I'm telling on him. He wasn't looking going, you know what? That's not what Jesus would do. Paul didn't come to that conclusion. He didn't say, well, you know what? They're not going to be pleasing to God acting like that. Paul's conclusion was not the law. Paul's conclusion was not that they were breaking a set of rules. Paul went immediately to the failure to uphold what is true about the gospel. That's that's immediately where Paul went. Paul is looking at an individual, and they're not doing the things that they're supposed to do. And what does Paul do? They are not walking in step with the truth of the gospel it that's the importance of the gospel why we preach it every single week (laughs) because in the end with the behaviors and things that we do the apostle paul is going to look at us he's going to look at our lives and he's going to see you know what shane's not doing what he's supposed to do you know why you know why because he's not walking in step with the truth of the gospel wow do y'all see it that way or did you guys just think when you read this passage of scripture that ah oh, that was just cool that Paul rebuked Peter this is huge this is a huge thing because the point that i want us to take away from this is peter was not a new christian see what i mean if peter had just gotten saved i can see that peter just gotten saved You know, you're not walking in step with the truth of the gospel because of our idea that we think the gospel is just for new Christians or immature Christians. But once you become mature, you don't need the gospel in your life anymore. Oh, that is so, so wrong. And Paul is making this very, very clear. His attack or his rebuke or his uh, 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 the moment where, uh, where where he saw conflict. Had nothing to do with him breaking the law. It was him not upholding the truth of the gospel. Christians have a responsibility to maintain the truth of the gospel. The gospel should always be at the forefront, permeating our heart. It's never to end. It's always to be growing in the life of a Christian. We need to be constantly reminded of gospel principle. We need to be constantly reminded of the words and works of Christ for us. We need to be reminded of our salvation. We need to search the depths and the riches of this thing called the gospel. So amazing Is the gospel so wonderful that even the angels who go back and forth from the presence of God, they long to look at its truth. Oh, this thing that we want to just go, hey, just for unbelievers, non-Christians, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm past that already. This thing that we're saying that angels, angels who go to and fro from the presence of God long to look. Eager to look at these things. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, they were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news, the gospel, has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And if it is so amazing. That even angels long to look with outstretched necks, that's the picture, outstretched necks, they're trying to look at the gospel. Why would we not want something like this to be declared every single week? Why would we not want it to be every single week? So wonderful, so amazing. See, the thing is is, is, is one individual came up to me and was like, hey, man, I'm hearing the gospel all the time, hearing all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, he, he went to uh, a prosperity gospel church, you know, um, trying to decide whether he was going to come to our church or go to this prosperity gospel thing. And it's just so funny. I'm just like, oh, yeah, you don't want to hear the gospel every single week here, but you got no problems hearing about how you're going to get rich every week. You know what I'm saying? Every single sermon I hear is about wealth and prosperity. Every single one. How come we don't have a problem hearing that every single week? Aren't you guys bored of that? (laughs) We don't have a problem about how God's going to make our dreams come true every week. We don't have a problem hearing about how God's going to fix our lives every single week. How he's going to make our problems go away every single week. How he's going to give us more power, more popularity, more profit, more pleasure. How he's going to do all of that every single week but the gospel oh, every week Martin Luther made it very clear that the gospel should be preached always this is what Martin Luther said the truth of the gospel it is also the principal article of all christian doctrine most necessary is it therefore that we should know this article well that we should teach it to others And this is the one that goes through my head constantly. And beat it into their heads continually. Martin Luther's like, yeah, preach the gospel. Teach it always. And beat it into their heads continually, Shane. How does the gospel but Shane, I, I get it. Okay, I get it. But how does the gospel help me with real needs? Shane, I got real needs. This is what we get, right? This is, this is what, when I was in Bible college, this is the stuff that we used to say all the time. Like, you know, I, the Christianity, Christ is good and all that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, but let's get real, I don't know if you guys ever heard that, that before. That, just, uh, we used to all say it. Steve, you remember saying it? We used to say that all the time, didn't we? Just like, yeah, he's going to help us spiritually and all this kind of stuff, and he's going to give us life and joy and all this stuff, but let's get real here. We need real answers here. We need real things here. So the, the question is, okay, I get the gospel. How does this help me with my real needs? How does this help me with my real problems? Man, I don't have time to go through every single situation, but let me give you guys one. you guys want to see how the gospel works with our problems, our real problems? How many of y'all know that one of the biggest things we suffer from in, in the church today when it comes to problems is relationships? Man, everywhere I look, we got relationship problems got marriage problems, uh, parents and their kids problems, family problems, can't get along with cousins, can't get along with aunties, you know, you know, we can't get along with uncles that, you know, always trying to steal our, our treats and stuff when he comes over to the house and eat our food, you know, and, and aunties that, you know, make you kiss them and all this stuff when, when they got mustaches thicker than yours, you know, all that stuff. I mean, i <laughs> I'll going to get in trouble for saying that. I know I am. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Guys, here's the thing. We have relationship problems in the church, right? So here's a problem an individual comes on, in. What am I supposed to do about this? My response is always, it's because we're not applying the gospel in our lives. The reason why we're having relationship problems is because we're not applying the gospel in our lives. Absolutely the reason why. Let's talk about relationships, how the gospel helps with real problems. Many times our relationships, we go bad because we're constantly seeing the shortcomings of the other person. I'll tell you right now, if you focus on me, if you say, hey, Shane, I'm struggling with my relationship with Shane. I'm like, yeah, probably because you're focusing on me. If you are saying, you know what, I'm looking at all your faults and let me tell you about how you have let me down. Let me tell you how you don't meet up to the needs that I have, how, why you're not fulfilling all of these things. focusing upon those types of things. Let me tell you something right now. If you focus on another person about how they're going to, how they meet up, they are going to let you down. They're going to. We're all going to. If you're looking at your spouse, you know, every morning. You know, husbands, I mean, you ever get that time, right? You know when your wife, you're you're having lunch, right? You're having lunch. You guys are eating. This is like your break time. You're going to eat. You're having lunch. And you just notice like your wife is just staring at you with this weird look on her face. You're saying stuff to her and she's just, that sigh, right? You know what she's doing? She's going through her list. (laughs) Right? She's going through that list like, you know, my mom said, my dad said, blah, 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 blah. And he might have got that one. He does, definitely doesn't meet that one. Doesn't, she's going down the list. You know that When we do stuff like that, we, we struggle, right? We have issues. Because this individual is always going to be in, seen as an individual that always lets you down. Individual always lets you down. It goes bad because we always see the shortcomings in the other person. So what happens is, is that in our lives, we play the blame game. My life is bad and it's her fault. Right? My life it's bad. My 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 this whole thing, everything is wrong in, in my situation. It's bad and it's his fault. It's his fault. He he all of a sudden came to me one day and said, I'm gonna be a pastor. You know? And Janine didn't think that. <laughs> you know, but you know. That you see how that, where that goes, and and we see it's her fault, it's his fault, and we start to play the blame game. The very thing that happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Do you know why we do that? We do that because we are afraid. Seriously, Shane, why do we do that? We do that because we are afraid. It's fear. We are so traumatized when it comes to criticism because it hurts our self image it hurts who we think we are it hurts our confidence for me to sit back and instead of looking at my wife and going let me let me let me look at all the things that she's done that fails instead of that if i were to sit back and look at all the things that was wrong in my life and see how i have failed oh i can't handle that Because that's going to make me conclude that maybe I'm not a good person. Maybe I'm not a good husband. And you know what? If that's the case, I can't blame anybody but myself. I can't do that. I can't do that. So it hurts our self-image, it hurts our confidence, so we blame. Without the gospel, we are strangled with this. Many times in in our relationships, we also feel like we are the ones that need to be the good guy in the relationship because the good guys are the ones that God likes. And God likes and God blesses the good guys in the relationships. So we try to earn our acceptance from God by helping other people. And help other people gives me significance. Do you know what we refer to this as? You guys have heard the word before. It's called codependency. A form of self-salvation actually is what it is. Needing people or needing people to need you so that you can help them and feel better about yourself. Because you're afraid of looking like the bad guy looking bad. Whoa, Zane. Serious. Yeah. Sometimes our relationships are seen simply as partnerships for mutual benefit. As I will be with you. I will be in this relationship as long as it's not costing me anything or it's not costing me a lot. Without the gospel at the forefront, we will selfishly use others or let ourselves be used by others. That's what happens. So you see, this is just some of the reasons why we have relationship problems Well, Shane, how does the gospel fix that? Because when we understand the beauty of what Christ has done, we don't need to fear. All of this stuff is motivated by fear. Do you realize that fear is that thing is that one thing that causes us to do these things, that causes us to have these things within our lives. You know, even when, when husbands are like, oh my husband, he just works so much. He just he's he's just ignoring his family, he's just letting his family go to waste because he's just out for his career. Well, what is the reason for it? It's fear. He's doing it because I don't want to be a failure. I'm afraid of being a failure. Because if, then if I'm a failure, then I'm not worth anything. And if not, I'm not worth anything, then what's the point of living? It's fear that's in us. So when we understand the gospel, we recognize that we don't need to fear. All of my shortcomings, all of my failures are covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't need to be affected by criticism from others because I am accepted already by my heavenly Father because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. I don't need to protect myself in relationships anymore because I have nothing to fear. I don't need to be codependent anymore because of what Christ has brought. I have absolute utmost acceptance from God. I don't have to fear rejection anymore. The gospel shows us the beauty of sacrifice. And so we will sacrifice for the benefit of others, even for our enemies. And that's I tell people all the time, well, yeah, the, the gospel right there. for Well, I, I don't want to sacrifice for my spouse anymore. Yeah, you're not going to sacrifice for the person who you love. Do you know that Christ sacrificed for people who were his enemies? I don't need to convince myself or others that I am acceptable. You know why? Because the gospel tells me that I am accepted. I'm accepted. And it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what anybody does. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You will not have power over me unless it has been given to you from above. I'll tell you right now, every single hair on my head is numbered, and my Father in heaven knows it. Therefore, I can love another enough to confront that person if they need to be confronted. But you know what I can do too? I can stay with that person even when it's not benefiting me anymore. Wow. Doesn't that clear up, like, all of the problems? I tell people all the time in marriage counseling, one of the things I do with marriage counseling, I make the first statement, you guys would have a happy marriage if you, guys all, if you guys both did one thing. If every single morning you woke up and you thought and concentrated only about how you can be a better spouse rather than looking at how your spouse is failing you. If the both of you guys would do that, you guys would have an incredible marriage. You know why you would do something like that? Because the gospel sustains you. I have my worth, my significance in Christ. I stand on Christ. And he's my purpose. He's the reason I'm here. My purpose. I'm going to get into this more next week. But... We do realize that when we become Christians, that we're supposed to deny ourselves, or is that just something that I got from my theology books? I think the last time I checked, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following God was in the Bible, right? That we are no longer our own. We're bought with a price. My whole reason for living, I'm dead to Christ, Yet I live, right? But not I, but Christ living in me. So my whole point, the whole purpose of living, the whole reason why I breathe every single day is for God. And I I was talking to Janine. We are having lunch the other day. And I was like, you know what? I, I came to this realization. Do you realize that if we are an individual and if we are actually living, if we're actually living for God, and, and, and our purpose, every step, every path, everything that we do, right? If everything that we do, whatever we find our heads, our jobs, our, our education, everything, our purpose, our, our, our everything, is all God, then you know what? I came to the conclusion. This is the conclusion I came with. Now, you guys tell me if I lost my mind because that is possible. That is possible. I, could, I, I am feeling like I'm losing my mind every day. I want to blame it on medication, but Don Sellers told me it's age. So, and he says it's going to get worse. So, get ready. Here's the thing. If I'm really walking, and my purpose is to walk in step with God, and the only step, the only thing I'm doing is walking in step, breathing, and every step I take is only for God's purpose. Everything I do is for him. Then if I need God to do something, and he doesn't do it, then it's on him, isn't it? I mean, think about that, right? Isn't it on him? It's, well, you know what? I I was doing this. I'm walking for you. This is why I'm doing it. I was trying to do this. But, you know, if you're not helping, then it's kind of on you. Because there's no other reason why I'm doing it. So we move on to the next thing. When we start to not think that, when we start to think, like, you know what, it's God, why won't you do this? Why are you not doing this stuff? Don't you understand? I need you to do this. I need you to do this. The question you got to ask yourself is then who are you doing it for? Right? There's a story that's told, uh, uh, an illustration that's given. Jesus is walking with the disciples. He's walking with the disciples, and he stops them, and says, "Hey, I want you guys to pick up a rock." So all the disciples they go and pick up a rock. And Peter, Peter's always the guy, right? That you always point out. Peter goes, "Pick up a rock." All right. Well, I gotta pick up a rock. Oh, he he says, "Pick up a rock," and I want you to carry this rock for me. Is what Jesus says. So they pick up the rock. They're all picking it up. Peter's looking and goes, "Well." It's kind of a small one right there. Picks up the small rock and sticks it in his pocket. And they're like, all right, I'm good. So they start walking and Jesus is teaching and they're walking. Now it's lunchtime, right? And so they all sit down and then Jesus goes, all right, it's lunchtime. Let's eat. Jesus snaps his fingers and everybody's rock turns into something. So John picked up a big rock, so he's got a turkey in his hand now. James, he picked up a you know, medium-sized rock, so now he's got a nice salmon in his hand. And Peter reaches in his pocket, and he pull, pulls out a Hershey's kiss. <laughs> All right, so then lunch is over. The, you know, Peter's stomach is still growling. And Jesus says, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to pick up a rock, and I want you to carry it for me. Peter's like, I got this. I figured this out. I got it. I know. So Peter goes and finds the biggest rock he can find. He's hungry. Right? Boom. Picks up the biggest rock and starts carrying it. And then they start walking. Jesus is teaching, and they're walking. They get to the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus goes, all right. This is what I want you guys to do. I want you to take that rock, and I want you to throw it in the water. So the disciples throw it in the water. Peter Like, oh, maybe there's something that hasn't, you know, this is okay. throws his rock in the water. And then Jesus goes, Good, let's keep going. So they start walking. They sit down and he starts to teach. And then Jesus is looking at Peter and he goes, And he starts to, he sees the face. Peter's really upset. He's like, Man, I carried that big rock. I was hoping for a big piece of chicken. And instead, you made me throw it in the water. What a waste that is. And he could see that, right? And Peter's just stewing. And Jesus sees that. He looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, let me ask you a question. Who are you carrying that rock for? See, that's the question, right, for us who are you carrying this rock for? All the things that we have in our life, everything that we're doing, everything that we're going through, all that stuff, these burdens that we carry, who are we carrying it for? Are we lying to ourselves and saying we're carrying it for God? But in reality, who are we carrying it for? Because if Peter was really carrying that rock for Jesus, when Jesus told him to throw it in the water, it would just be like, Okay, I thought you wanted it for something else, but maybe not. So that—that's on you, right? We just keep going. I was carrying it for my Lord, period. I wasn't looking to get something out of it. And so, lastly, as we close, we need to understand this thing that I call the "so that," "because of" dynamic. Any time you are doing anything. Anytime you're faced with obedience, anytime there's a thing, something that you're wanting to do for God, you always need to ask yourself this question. I still do it today, all the time. I ask myself, why are you doing it? If my answer, most of the time our answers are going to contain so that or because of. So that, because of. Because the reason why we do things matter, doesn't it? The purpose. Now, Janine and I got into an argument. And, and I was, let's say I was being mean. And then I said, you know what? I'm not talking to you anymore. And so I sit in the living room with the remote control, trying to catch up on the Mandalorian, you know, watching. And then I'm starting to get hungry. Like, man, I'm... Getting hungry. I just (laughs) fought with my wife. Said I'm not talking to her anymore. And I would really like for her to make that lasagna that she makes. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go into the room. I'm going to say sorry. And I'm going to apologize. Tell her that she's the best woman in the world. Tell her that she's awesome. And then, you know, we'll make up. And then she can go into the kitchen and she can make us some dinner. So I apologize. I say sorry. I say I was wrong. Please forgive me. And she, oh, he's so nice. He's so good. Oh, he's such an awesome husband. I'm going to make him some lasagna. Now, let's say all of you guys knew what I was doing. How many of you guys would be mad at me right now? Yeah, I see a lot of nodding heads. Yeah, a lot of you guys would be mad at me. Because what I did wasn't actually good. It was absolutely despicable, wasn't it? That was horrible. The only reason why I'm apologizing, the only reason why I'm doing this is so I can get something from her. So it's a bad thing. And it wasn't because of what I did. It's because of why I did it. Do you guys know it's the same thing when it comes to God? We're so concerned and so consumed with the what we're supposed to do, we're not even thinking about why we're actually doing it. I'm apologizing, doing everything right, saying all the good things. Saying all the good things to my wife so that she'll cook me dinner. Did you see that? All that so that she could cook me dinner. Do you realize this is the prosperity gospel? This is the prosperity gospel. This is what you do. This is why it's so despicable. This is why I'm so against it. Because this is what you're doing. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to do all of these things so that you give me prosperity. Oh, how despicable is that? How horrible is that? Shouldn't I be apologizing to my wife simply because I was being mean and she deserves to not be treated that way and I owe her that? Not because I'm trying to get anything. I am apologizing to my wife because of the way, because of the way I treated her. And she deserves it. It's the same with God. It doesn't matter how good the work or our obedience is. If it is done with the wrong motive, God will reject it. Even prayer even sacrifice. Did you know Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. Now, will we all agree that praying is good. Yeah, praying is awesome. Praying is what we need to do. But if you do it as a person who rejects the law, God hates it. God doesn't want to hear it. What about the sacrifices that we make? Doesn't, As a Christian, shouldn't we walk and live life sacrificing? A sacrifice is what we do, right? Even sacrifice. Well, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, Hosea chapter 6, 6 says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offering. So here it is. If you obey God so that you are sinning, And you are offending the living God. But if we obey God because of, then we will be in line with the truth of the gospel. If we obey God so that we will be accepted by him, we are calling him a liar. And we are obeying apart from faith. And if you do anything apart from faith, the Bible says it's what? Sin. If we are obeying and doing good works so that we will not be condemned, Shane, you got to do good works. You got to do good things because if you don't do good things, you're going to be condemned and you're going to go to hell. You are calling God a liar if that's the reason why you're doing it. Why, Why do you say that he's a liar? Because the Bible says what? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Yes. Then there's no condemnation for you. So if you're doing good works because you believe that by doing this, God's not going to condemn you? God's like, I already told you. There is no condemnation. If we are obeying God so that we can get something, we are using him instead of worshiping him. And let me say this, if you obey God for something, you will serve the devil for more. We've got to be careful anytime we want something, doing something for God so that we are offending god not pleasing him it's the gospel that motivates us to obey motivates us to do good works because of i am obeying god because of my acceptance that i have with god already i'm obeying and doing good works for god because of my adoption with him and i'm a child of god who wants to be obedient to god just because I'm obeying and doing good works for God because of knowing that it's what the Lord wants. And no matter what, no matter if he brings me power, profit, pleasure, popularity, I desire him and him only for I have denied myself taking up my cross and I'm following him. And you know what? It's just like if you're a Christian and you're asking God for something because you need something because you feel like you were, you're withheld something, let me tell you this right now. The Bible says all that the Father has is yours you are co-heir with Christ you are a king and queen of the kingdom of heaven that's the amazing thing about this I loved because he first loved me oh I forgot to tell you guys really quick Ken and all that stuff I know you guys did that let's save that for next week I was going to uh, we were going to pass on the Lord's Supper today anyway okay um But Shane, then why all the talk about sin? Why? Because we gotta know the bad news so that we can get the full force of the good news. And the bad news is that sin has infected us all, and we are all destined for a great punishment when we face the wrath of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We are all by nature children of wrath. We were sinful from the time we were in our mother's womb. Even the apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. So number one, why do you talk about sin all the time? Because the Bible does. That's number one. Number two, we can't get the full force of the good news until we really get the full force of the bad news. But today I have good news for you that we can have life and we can have forgiveness today because the promises of God and the works of Christ, the obedience of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, the penalty of our sins was paid for and the righteousness needed was merited by the work of Christ living the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. Family, the gospel is simple. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day all according to the scriptures. Family, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Do you know that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right? By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. And let me tell you something, my God does not fail. This is the good news of Jesus that we need to hear every chance we get. And the promises are also amazing. They continue because all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is here Amen. And there is truly life and life more abundant in Christ and in Christ alone. But Shane, come on, man. You said that God wants us to love Him. Yeah. And this is how it happens it's the gospel. Well, what, what do you mean? Watch this. I'll close with this. What do you mean? God wants us to love Him. Well, I know. And what's the deal with the sin and the the gospel stuff, man? Shouldn't we be talking about how we need to love them harder? Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. For a person who much has been forgiven, loves much. The bigger I preach our sin, the bigger the gospel becomes. This is the gospel of Jesus. And what, a, and what child who receives the comfort and forgiveness from their father walks out of the door wanting to, the first thing they want to do is the very thing that their father hates. That's why I'm saying, Shane, if you preach the gospel, people are going to want to do whatever they want to do. They're not going to be obedient to God. What child of God would do such a thing? When You wouldn't even do that with your earthly father. If your father did something absolutely amazing and forgave you, the first thing you're going to do is walk out of the house and sin and do the very thing he doesn't want you to do? No. My father shows me that kind of mercy, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of love. The first thing I'm going to want to do is to do what He wants me to do. Tell them the gospel and God's people will want to do what God wants them to do. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.